Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 17 of UConn 360, the only podcast in the universe that covers the University of Connecticut from every conceivable angle. My name is Tom Breen. I'm your facilitator of sorts. Joining me, as always, Julie Bartuka. Happy fall. Ken Best. If, if the next one is 18, does that make us legal then? <gasps> hey Uh I don't know how to answer that. Um, <laughs> we're going to jump right into the Husky headlines. Julie, what's happening? got some health and science news today. Yukon medicinal chemist M. Kyle Haddon and Yukon health molecular biologist Dmitry Korzhnev, sorry Dmitry if I butchered your last name, have identified several small molecules that disrupt the ability of certain cancer cells to bypass the damage caused by chemotherapy, which is a key component in the onset of cancer's resistance to chemo. One of the drawbacks of chemo, although it's very helpful in many cases, is that cancer patients can build up resistance to treatment over time, increasing their chances of a possible relapse. So finding a way to suppress that resistance would be a major step toward boosting the therapeutic effects of cancer-fighting drugs. The molecules discovered by Haddon and Korshnev could lead to a new drug that can be combined with anti-cancer drugs to make them more effective. So that's really cool. Um, and in other health news, the Red Center for Food Policy and Obesity has reported that 74% of parents are still buying unhealthy food and drink from fast food restaurants, despite restaurants' efforts to offer healthier options. The study surveyed the four largest U.S. fast food chains. What do you think they are, Tom? Guess. McDonald's. Yep. Burger King. Yep. Subway. Yep. One more. Wendy's. Yeah. Woo! Good job. Eat they a lot of burgers, do you? <laughs> I mean, obviously, yes. <laughs> the study found that many of these restaurants still automatically provide soda and french fries with kids' meal orders, if nothing else is specified. And they continue to widely promote these unhealthy options inside restaurants on menu boards and signs. They also surveyed 800 parents in 2010, 2013, and 2016, and among other findings discovered that children are eating fast food more often today. In 2010, 79% of the parents said they had bought their children fast food in the past week, and in 2016, that number was up to 91%. Study authors say that policy should be put in place to make healthy drinks and sides the default choice rather than the sodas and the french fries. Very interesting. Yeah. Ken, what's happening? I am holding in my hand the fall edition of Yukon Magazine Woo-hoo. that... Should be in the mail, maybe even having arrived at every alum home. And, by the time uh, we air, probably. The, and hopefully it'll be online soon after that because they were still finishing touches on that. And what do we have inside the mail? First of all, we have an artsy black and white cover. Peter is Marina's our photographer, decided to go old school on that, I guess. Uh, and the cover story is about 14 students and alums who started their own businesses while at UConn. Mm-hmm. We know some of them. In fact, one of them is in our building right now as an alum. There's a profile of our new men's basketball coach, Danny Hurley. A business professor, David Bergman, provides insight on how understanding prescriptive analytics can help you win your football pool. You have very to read timely. that to understand what that means. Yes. well, Very good story, It's though. very good. And uh, you can learn about the coveted class, The Politics of Crime and Justice, taught by Professor Kimberly Bergenthal. A fun story, of You course. forgot to mention no, something I very important. Very important. Uh, my friend Lisa Stepak, who is the editor of the magazine that I took care of for 10 years, you have to read her column because it talks about Julie and her Uncle Barry. And, and it talks U- about you and guys. The U- and the UConn 360 podcast. Yeah. And you see a picture of us sitting where we are sitting right now. We are. In the William Benton Museum of Art. Yeah. It's, it's not possible to take a good picture of me, but this oh, is a particularly stop. bad one. So you have that to look forward to, alums. Also, it's a great picture. It's available online at magazine.uconn.edu. Yes. Read it. So that's where we are right now. 
Uh, as for me, I have uh, news from the most glamorous corner of the news, <laughs> capital projects and real estate. Ooh. Board of Trustees uh, approved on their September 26th meeting. Uh, they approved the plan to build a new 2,500-seat ice arena, which will be adjacent to Fritas Ice Forum. I always want to call it the Ice Palace, and to me, it is a palace. Fritas is not going away. It'll remain there. This is the, the new ice arena. Uh, is to comply with Hockey East requirements. That's the conference our hockey teams play in. Uh, I'm a big hockey fan. Very excited to be able to see both men's and women's hockey here on campus. Uh, majority of games will still be played at the XL Center, the former home of the Hartford Whalers, to those of you of a certain vintage. <laughs> that's exciting news for hockey fans. Do we get a new Zamboni, too? I don't know. That's a good question. I hope so. Maybe we could sponsor it. Maybe it could be the Zamboni 360. I just want to ride on it. Yeah. Okay. We have also approved, well, not we, the Board of Trustees. Like, I didn't have anything to do with it. Uh, the Board of Trustees has approved the sale of the Nathan Hale Inn, which many of you will know as the hotel on campus, uh, which has gradually, like, being converted to dorms. Well, that's over. <laughs> We're selling it to Sharp a, reverse. a hotel chain uh, called Graduate Hotels, which I guess specializes in boutique hotels in college towns. So that's our... our glamorous news but julie has a glamorous actual gra glamorous actual glam news. whoa what are you saying about nothing, real estate and capital wrong with capital projects yukon nation had some skin in the game in this year's miss america pageant which was held september 10th as recent alum bridget oi represented us as miss connecticut and we had a lot of reason to cheer her on oi who has competed internationally in both science fair and irish step dancing competitions made it all the way to the end of the competition and was named first runner-up I interviewed her just a week after her big night, talking about her experience with this year's new pageant format, what she plans to do for the rest of her reign as Miss Connecticut, and how she spent her time here at UConn. I am Bridget Boy. Right now, I am Miss Connecticut 2018. I just graduated in May 2018 with an honors degree in environmental chemistry. You just had a pretty exciting week last week. Can yes. you tell us about, a bit about what's been going on with you? So as Miss Connecticut 2018, I was crowned back in June and I got the chance to go to Miss America and compete for the title of Miss America, which was so exciting. And I was there in Atlantic City, New Jersey for two weeks. Uh, it was a full week of competition and the finals was broadcasted live on ABC and I had the time of my life and finished first runner-up. Congratulations. Thank That's you. Amazing. I had the time of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and you did some pretty cool things. Tell us about your talent. Yes, so I am a long-time competitive Irish step dancer. I've been competing for 18 years. So I'm fi also 50% Irish and 50% Chinese. So. Irish step dancing is very much a part of my culture, my blood, it's what I do, and I got to showcase my culture and my talent on the Miss America stage, and I was so glad that I got to do it live on television because I was just so glad to have made Connecticut proud, have made the entire Irish dancing community proud, so it was one of my favorite moments. I'll remember it forever. It was awesome, and you kind of moonwalked in your Yes, <laughs> so many people found that so surprising I know. to me. We add elements in Irish step dancing, any kind of element that makes you stand out because typically in Irish dance competitions, you dance three at a time. So it's three girls from different schools. We all have different choreography. So we always add these like elements that make the judges really look at you. So I've been moonwalking and certain dances for years. So I've really gotten to practice it. And when it came time to making my Irish step dancing talent for Miss America. My Irish step dancing teacher from the Griffith Academy and I, we thought, why not? What was your platform for 
Miss America? Our social initiative is something that we work on throughout the year, and if we became Miss America, we would work on making an impact throughout our service years, because the job of Miss Connecticut really is a service opportunity, which is why I love it so much. So my initiative is Women in STEM, inspiring the next generation of young innovators, which is super important to me, because I grew up and started science exploration when I was in seventh grade. I competed at the Connecticut State Science Fair, went on to compete at international and national fairs and it was this way for me to take what I learned in the classroom what I learned through textbooks and apply it to daily problems that I discovered throughout life and things that I wanted to inquire about so it was really empowering for mm -hmm. me and I want young women to understand that because we really do have a low statistic only 24% of women are in the STEM workplace right now and to make more inclusive technology in the way I want to we want to have a great technological future is being more inclusive and increasing that statistic. So I'm here to do that, to inspire those young kids to understand that you can take the power in your own hands and, and start to be creative and think outside of the box at a very young age. And that's what turns into a great career. And you're a perfect example of that. Between, you know, your dancing and your STEM, and you were involved in so many different things here at UConn that yes. just really embodied the fact that you can do all these different things. You don't have to just be STEM. You don't have Absolutely. to just be... Yeah. Well, that's one of the most important things. That's what I fell in love with at UConn. Because we are such a big campus and there are so many resources right at your fingertips, I fell in love with this idea of being a very well-rounded person. Because, you know, whether, whether you go into a career that's very specific or not, that networking, that experience and that perspective that you get from doing whatever it is from service to traveling to dance to the fine arts and school, that makes you a well-rounded, very robust person and that helps mm -hmm. in a lot of just life skills. Absolutely. You're still Miss Connecticut until June, I assume? Right, so I'm Miss Connecticut until June of 2019, and then I'm hopefully matriculating into medical school awesome. in the fall of 2019. Is there stuff you're doing on the Connecticut level to further this STEM initiative? Yes, I'll be going on a statewide school tour. I have about 20 schools right now, and we're getting more every day that I get to go speak. Uh, to our young students and I, I talk about you know whether it's hands-on exploration or I just go into their classrooms and really make sure they know that they have so many resources that I want to connect them with and I'm talking to students from seniors in high school I'm part of someone's seniors capstone project oh, cool. in South Windsor to fourth grade third grade just Great. being there and being that helping hand so I'm very excited for that it's one of the highlights of my year I'm gonna really enjoy it very cool other than driving that car with oh yes on it. you'll know where I am <laughs> UConn <laughs> that's great I wanted to ask you just quickly about the changes to the Miss America sure. competition there's no more swimsuit competition what are your thoughts on that I actually think it's very exciting and I'm really honored to have been Miss Connecticut right at the crux of this change I think that we are moving in a positive direction in terms of being more inclusive to women. For me, I was neither here or there with swimsuit. I could get up and do it, but I didn't love it. I just did it. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not what the job is. Once you become Miss Connecticut, I'm serving the schools and, and really talking and, and being an advocate in that way. So I love this new direction of being more inclusive. So a woman that might be uncomfortable in a swimsuit, but is a wonderful public speaker and has a lot to lend for her social impact, can really feel comfortable and shine through the Miss America program. And so it's been really an honor to be part of the class of 2019 and be trailblazers in that sense. Really, we set the bar 
at Miss America. I think we did a phenomenal job in the sense that all these girls are really very encouraged and very inspiring. And you look at the resumes of a lot of these women Absolutely. and they are phenomenal. So we don't even need a swimsuit. Exactly. We're gonna rock that stage no matter what. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about some of the stuff you did here. You were involved in all kinds of things. You were a holster scholar. Yeah. You had your amazing um, inventions that you were yeah. working on. So I always go chronological. I came in to the honors program at UConn, an environmental science major, and I lived in Buckley and loved my time there. I actually, some of my best friends still, we all connected at Buckley and we're all still talking now, so it's really great. So I matriculated into the honors program and then wanted immediately to get involved in research so in the summer after my freshman year I won the holster scholarship grant and worked on an invention that I had started in high school and it was using piezoelectricity to uh, as a renewable energy source to power biological implant devices namely pacemakers so I took a whole summer and worked here in a biomedical engineering lab Worked that whole summer and really fell in love with the medical side of things. And then in my sophomore year, I took organic chemistry and just fell in love with it. That's so, not something you hear every day. <laughs> I know. Well, Dr. Bailey uh, is the honors organic chemistry professor and to date is one of the best professors I've ever had. I think truly your professors make the difference. And he could have taught me anything, and I think. <laughs> but I really enjoyed the coursework. So then I became an environmental chemistry major, and I concentrated in chemistry. And then I fell into research at UConn Health Center, and I worked for three years in Caroline Dealey's lab. And I worked in regenerative sciences on a cure for osteoarthritis, wow. which as a dancer was very near and dear to my heart because I almost certainly have osteoarthritis <laughs> or will have it in the future. So what we were looking at is I actually received the a university scholarship. Um, a University Scholar Award and worked for three semesters on coming up with a clinically relevant technique to regenerate the cartilage within the knee joint so that we could reverse the effects of cartilage damage so that osteoarthritis never even has to happen. So what I loved about that project is we weren't just looking to cure the disease, we were looking to prevent it, which I think is a really great direction that science and healthcare is going towards. So I fell in love with that and I think that's what pushed me to be involved in medicine and that's why I'm pre-med now. So I enjoyed my time at UConn so much, I learned so much and got involved in everything I possibly could. Sounds here. like you are set up for medical school, good luck. Thank you. All right, that was excellent, and uh, I say as a totally unbiased observer that she should totally have won. Oh, I agree. She yeah. was amazing. She was great. Uh, Ken, what do you have for us this week? I think we all know that people share a lot of information on social media, like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Not me, by the way, but Too others do. Too much information. At UConn Podcast. At UConn Podcast, and other social networking sites. But one of the popular pieces of information these days is about dieting and fitness activities related to your health. UConn researchers have just completed a study published in the journal Health Communication titled Count Your Calories and Share Them, Health Benefits of Sharing M-Health Information on Social Networking Site, and M-Health means mobile health. Uh, UConn Communications Professor Ann Oldolf hirsch led the study with assistance from her colleague John L. Christensen and from their collaborator Andrew C. High from Penn State. What they found 
is that if you share tracked health information and receive supportive comments, particularly from your friends on your social media network, you can improve your health outcomes because of that support. But they also found you might not always get the kind of feedback you expected to receive, and that could mean you won't necessarily improve your health as much. Uh, This study is important because it's one of the first empirical tests of the social network sharing component of the integrated theory of mobile health, which was introduced uh, two years ago by researchers at the University of Colorado in Denver with the goal of improving the development and evaluation of mobile health programs. I spoke with Professor Oldorf Hirsch asking why she and her colleagues decided to do this study. It is popular to share the things that you've done, right? I went for a run, I went to the gym, I stayed within my eating goals or whatever it is. So there is that intuition that, oh, if I share that to a space like Facebook, people will comment on that, I'll get feedback on it, and that should have positive outcomes. So we wanted to test that empirically and specifically also theoretically. So that's why we use the um, integrated theory of mHealth framework as a way to kind of test that to see does that theory hold up. And what is that theory exactly? <laughs> the integrated theory of um, mHealth is is by Bull and Izianochi. It's from 2016. It's a, a theory that they proposed part of another paper that basically says that the health outcomes, if there are things like interventions that come from mHealth spaces, rely on having access to these spaces, engaging with the content that's there, so different types of health messages, and then also an aspect of sharing on social media. From that, you get support, you build esteem, and then that would lead to these health outcomes. The sharing of of this information is really what you were taking a look at, Mm -hmm. and you found some differences in in how how much was shared and the response to that and whether there were benefits to that. Would you explain that? Yeah. So the sharing was not universally beneficial. Uh, So we saw that sharing had these positive relationships between health outcomes for certain types of support, but that that also depended on the type of feedback that uh, people got on social media sites. And so feedback, we focus specifically on are people getting comments, things like likes on Facebook, um, sort of other things that indicate that people are supporting what they're doing. Um, So we do see that those interact, meaning that just sharing is not enough, but it also depends on the feedback people are getting. You also pointed out that there are some slight differences in in, uh, whether there's praise or sympathy for the, the achievement. And a difference whether people are getting more information, which they may not follow or may not be as encouraging to mm-hmm. to continue. Yeah. So in this case, we didn't measure the exact types of messages that we got. So we don't know necessarily what the comments that they may have gotten were. But yes, there is a drawback to receiving what we could call informational support. So somebody might be giving you a lot of advice that you don't want. That can be too much feedback then that doesn't make you feel better. You note that there are theoretical and practical uh, implications for this. What are some of the theoretical? Uh, The theoretical, certainly some support for this theory, and this is not our theory. We're citing this uh, from the literature, but we like that there was a theoretical framework that actually included sharing on social media, and we thought that was such a key piece of this. So it provides some support for that to say, yes, that aspect is important. In our results, we don't find a direct link between sharing and health necessarily, but it's the different types of support that you get from the network, which you would really get from a kind of a more public space like Facebook or Instagram or you know Twitter, wherever people are sharing. So it does at least build on that theory, provide some support for that, show that this is an important linkage in that. 
process. At the same time, there are some concerns that people have about sharing personal mm. information. We've seen a lot of, in, yes. of that covered <laughs> in the news. For this specific <laughs> subject, what were the concerns? The privacy concerns are a very important question, especially right now. I think it's important to think in this study about sharing that people were actively doing themselves. So we're not talking about the type of sharing like your phone is sending information about you back to a company or something like that, right? We have to think about that differently and be more cautious about that. But certainly somebody saying, I would like to make a post on a social media site about some sort of exercise that I engaged in today. That sort of sharing is what we're focusing on. But certainly people have privacy concerns about that as well, or even just other concerns. Maybe they're not comfortable with that. So of course, we do see in this case, people who are already to some extent comfortable with that and doing that. We see lots of devices coming out to mm -hmm. track personal information yes. and to get more involved with social networks. It seems that if this is an initial study, there's going to be potential for much more. Mm -hmm. Where do you see this having to go next? Well, one of the things that we're interested with in with this is specific types of interventions. Uh, so interventions meaning different programs that might get people to purposely behave in a certain way to change their health behaviors. Um, so you could see, you know, maybe knowing how sharing this information in different ways, we could encourage people to share that if we know it's going to lead to better health outcomes. So we're thinking about how that might look. One thing that we're interested in is with all these different apps that do exist. You know, there's so many apps, you know, Fitbit, watches, you know, phones, of course, that with a lot of these, they have the option to share, but there's not a lot of other infrastructure around that in terms of the support they could get. So we find here again that support is so important, the support that you get for sharing. So we're very interested in what types of technological devices or apps encourage that support, tell people how to use that effectively, um, and then maybe we can build interventions that use those features. This is an ongoing uh concern for a lot of people. Uh, there's more Fitbits and, and wearable devices to that, that come out. Purpose of social network is to share information, yes. obviously. This is one piece of it. I guess there's always a possibility that it could get mixed in with other things that you're sharing inadvertently just because you happen to be mentioning this, the health benefits of you know, what I did when I was running today, and then it leaks into other areas, and then you may have to separate it out. Do you mean that the content would end up in other places or people would accidentally share other types of content? Other types or? of content. Yeah, so that's a really good point. And what we focused on here, again, was that kind of explicit sharing of I'm going to track a run, for instance, and then share it online. But that is something to be certainly cautious about. There's also privacy settings. Who do you end up sharing with that you maybe didn't mean to share with? What other platforms does it get sent to? Uh, certainly a concern, yes. The age range was quite, quite interesting because normally you're doing a core study for of a targeted group. This, mm -hmm. you say, was 18 to 74. That's a pretty yeah. broad range. Yes. <laughs> I'm interested. On the upper level, what did you find? Was there enthusiastic participation? Was it slightly less than the, the younger group, which is where you would expect most of this might be? Certainly, there were more participants who were in the younger age range, right? So we see with tech use, generally, as you get into the older age ranges, there, there are less and less people there. But we were thrilled to have that age range because so much of this work is often done with kind of a college age, maybe 20s to 30s population. So it was nice to see people at a wider age range engaging with this. But certainly we do always see the older age range, you do start to see that drop off with tech use. 
And uh, some of the information that we're talking about, health applications and mobile devices, according to recently published reports, there are 259,000 health applications available for mobile devices, and 77% of adults own those mobile devices in the United States. Uh, the study used responses from online participants from age 18 to 74. I mentioned earlier in my glamorous portion about capital acquisitions and real estate news, the Board of Trustees, <laughs> their meeting uh, in September was held at the Wilbur Cross Building uh, for the first time. Uh, previously, they had been meeting in Next Gen Hall. So I thought... I would talk a little bit about Wilbur Cross and the history of libraries at UConn. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> so as most people, I think, know, uh, the main library at UConn is Homer Babbage, which was completed in the 70s. Before that, the library was Wilbur Cross. Does anyone want to know where it was before that? Before Wilbur Cross, where do we have a library? I have no idea. Beach Hall. Oh. It was both library and bookstore. Okay. And before that, it was in a building called Old Main. Old Main, yeah. And before Old Main, it was in the Whitney Building, which wow. was the only building on <laughs> campus in the 1880s when I attended. <laughs> you were here in animal husbandry. Dinosaur that. husbandry. <laughs> we hadn't yet gotten animals. Uh, Whitney was the first building, and it was originally an orphanage for Civil War orphans. And then it became the University... Well, it wasn't the University of Connecticut then. Uh and then uh, Old Main became the, the main building on campus where most things happened. Where was Old Main? Old Main was at the corner of 195 and North Eagleville Road. Okay. Do you want to guess what happened to Old Main and the Whitney building? They burnt down. That's a good guess because most buildings from that era did burn down. No, they were both torn down, one in 1929 and one in 1932, because the two leading causes of building destruction in those days, fire and unsentimental New Englanders. <laughs> When they started building Beach Hall, which was at the time the main repository for the bookstore, the library, and everything else, they're like, we don't need Old Man anymore. Let's tear it down and reuse Aww. the wood. Oh, well, that's cool in a way, Ugh. recycling. Where, where did they reuse the wood? I don't know. Oh, I, they didn't I, use it? In, oh, okay. I wish, honestly, we still had those buildings because... Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yep, we don't. <coughs> anyway, <laughs> so the library was only a beach for about 10 years, and they moved it in uh, to um, Wilbercross, which was uh, constructed in 1939. Uh, a then unprecedented, part of a then unprecedented $3 million bond issue by the Connecticut General Assembly. That was when we became a state university as opposed to uh, Connecticut State College, which we were before then. Homer Babbage himself carried the first load of books from Beach Hall to Wilbur Cross. Do you know what those books were? Harry Potter. No. <laughs> I made that up. I don't know what they were. I have no idea. I just There's a picture of him carrying a bunch of books. That was pretty funny, though. Good one. Uh, um, <laughs> Wilbur Cross, of course, had no direct Yukon connection. But he was born and raised in Gurleyville, which is practically on campus. Mm -hmm. He was a four-term governor of Connecticut, and uh, he was a president of Yale and a re uh, renowned literary man. It's a really fun name to call otherwise building, no, Otherwise known as a man of letters. A man of letters. He was a man of letters. Uh, anyway, so when uh, the library opened at Wilbur Cross, there was a seven levels of stacks that students were not allowed to go into. You mm. had to go to a circulation desk and ask permission, and they would get the book for you just the way libraries used to work men had to wear ties uh and the uh, women students had to wear dresses or skirts and blouses to go into the to go into the library wow and to study in the library tell all the students now in their sweatpants and yoga pants i know sleeping i used to sleep in the library right, all the time. I <laughs> when, um, when i was in college that was the attire to get in for sunday dinner hmm. in the dining halls not here but elsewhere they um it the population grew very quickly. The library opened in 1942, and then there was a war. And after the war, uh, the GI Bill meant there were mm -hmm. lots more students. 
And so the library, it quickly became apparent the library was not going to be adequate for our needs. So they built an addition on the back, which oh. I'm, I'm looking at we as we speak. At, yeah. And that was, uh, that was dedicated in 1964 when Homer Babbage, uh, who was very interested in expanding library usage, was the president here. And uh, so at the dedication, uh, the keynote speaker was the Harvard University librarian with the wonderfully Harvard name Keys D. Metcalf. Keys? Keys. All right. And apparently, Keys D. Metcalf came, spoke of the dedication, and pulled Homer Babbage aside and said, you need to build a new library. This, <laughs> is, this is not going to do it. <laughs> Good job, Keys. Thank Homer, you. Homer Babbage took that to heart and uh, put in motion the plans for the library that eventually would bear his name. Only other note, I guess, that's kind of interesting about Wilbur, Wilbur Cross when it was a library is um, there was a student occupation of the library mm. in April 1974. Uh, African-American students had presented a list of demands to then-President Glenn Ferguson, um, and he sort of rejected that way. Well, he, he responded in a, lo- a long letter, but they, the response was not adequate for them. So they came in to study, and when it was time to close the library up, they said, we're not leaving until Glenn Ferguson comes here and talks to us. Glenn Ferguson said nope. <laughs> so uh, they were there overnight, and the next morning, about forty-five uh, state police oh, came and carried them out, uh, and uh, they were put into buses and driven to police stations in Mansfield and Stafford, where they were charged with criminal trespassing. Hmm. Uh, all the charges were eventually nollied, which is a legal term, it means they were just dropped. Never just, heard of it. Good job, though. So yeah, so that's that's the story of Wilbur Cross, and then in the. Homer Babbage opened up. Wilbur Cross was converted to administrative uses. When I was a student here, after my time in the 1880s, when I came back in the 90s, <laughs> um, the Museum of Natural History was here, and I remember there was like a big dinosaur model in mm. one of the reading rooms. Is it true that they didn't account for the weight of the books in Homer Babbage, or is that an urban legend? That's an urban legend. Thank um, you for clearing that up for me. It was badly built, though, mm. and, and bricks were falling off the side. I do remember that. I, the, the entire library was wrapped in blue plastic when oh, I was wh- here. Which ultimately dude. led to the Yukon 2000 yep. funding, yeah. which brings Snowball. us to today where there is construction everywhere. But There's always been construction. Lots of universities around the country have an urban legend that the library is sinking because they didn't account for the weight of the books. It makes sense. It makes sense. Darn. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, it's, it's probably a good thing. It was good that they, yeah. yeah. Um, cool. So we've learned a lot about Wilbur Cross. Uh, we've learned about Miss America. We've learned about health online. It's been a good episode. Yeah. If you like what you heard. You sound really happy about it. If you like what you heard, I, I wish you would uh, subscribe. Please. Rate the podcast. Rate it honestly, which means five stars. Uh, tell your friends. Write letters to the editor of your local newspaper. Yeah. Um, but make sure you follow us on Twitter, at Podcast. Julie. Where can people find you individually? At Julie Bartuka. And I just want to plug Homecoming again, October 26th through 28th. Lots of fun activities, including what, Tom? Live podcast. Live podcast. It's at 3.30 on a Friday. So if you're here, come. We need to talk about that. We're going to talk <laughs> yeah, about Yeah, we're really going to start planning it soon. Yeah, um, to register for that and all the other events, go to s.ucon.edu slash come home. Ken? Where can people find you, and what do you want them to know? You can find me on UConn Today, and I think in UConn Magazine this time. Mm-hmm. I forget sometimes when I – it takes a while for it to come out. I forget about some things that I write once in a while. As always, you can find me at TJ Breen on Twitter, where I tweet old pictures from UConn, including one, a recent one of uh, Homer Babbage Day, where it's a bunch of shirtless hippies <laughs> sitting cross-legged in a field, and there's one administrator wearing a suit and tie. It's great. It's them. a it's, really good picture. Good picture. Uh, All right. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, Please join us next time when we'll have lots more exciting things. And, uh, you know, hashtag bleed blue. I don't know. I'm I'm not 
Not sure how to end here. <laughs> Stop rambling. We need an outro. Stop tapping no, on the don't. table. You are tapping on the table quite a bit. We're, we're going to work on an outro. Thanks, everyone. I like that.